0: another week of fantasy football another week of Ben Roethlisberger home road splits yes you can't open up Twitter without reading something about the incredible unbelievable mind-blowing ben roethlisberger home road splits oh amazing stats i'm just floored by these home road splits ben roethlisberger plays so well at home and he plays so bad on the road oh every week You see a more creative Ben Roethlisberger home road split stat that isn't helpful. Here's the latest. Ben Roethlisberger leads all quarterbacks in passer rating at home, but he's bottom 10 in passer rating on the road. (gasps) Ah! Ah! I hope he's not playing on the road. That would be devastating. You see what happens is when Ben Roethlisberger enters... A road stadium. His body convulses. The neurons in his brain misfire. His muscles and his connective tissue spasm. Ben Roethlisberger has been jinxed. Yes. Yes. An evil black magic curse. Yes. Yes. <laughs> ben Roethlisberger, you shall be a superstar. ONLY AT HOME, BUT WHEN YOU GO ON THE ROAD, YOU WILL FORGET HOW TO THROW A FOOTBALL, YOUR TEAMS WILL FAIL WHEN YOU TAKE THEM ON THE ROAD, YES, AND ONLY WHEN YOU GIVE ME YOUR FIRSTBORN CHILD, Will I lift this road curse from you, Mr. Roethlisberger? (laughs) Black magic. Cursing Ben Roethlisberger on the road. It's what it is, right? Supernatural forces. From the great beyond! Or he's just been unlucky on the road and is reverting back to the means starting in week 12 when Ben Roethlisberger threw for 220 yards on only 20 attempts, 11.1 yards per attempt, three touchdowns, a 146.0 passer rating on the road. Wow. That can only mean one thing ben roethlisberger must have given his first born child to the evil witch sorcerer it's the only way the curse could be lifted or it's just randomness and so many fantasy gamers waste time obsessing over unhelpful data mined niche stats pick one supernatural phenomenon or probability theory if you listen to this show my guess is you're picking probably Theory. the home road splits told you to bench ben roethlisberger last week and if you did you're an idiot such a crazy stat heading into week 12 ben roethlisberger 55 touchdown passes in his last 19 home games only 19 touchdown passes in his last 19 road games oh change those stats around They don't align as well anymore after his three-touchdown performance in Indianapolis when the team was up 21-7 to at the half and he didn't have to throw it all in the second half. Only 20 attempts. That extrapolates to six touchdown passes if he had 40 attempts. Yeah, Ben Roethlisberger really struggling on the road last week. Stupid home road splits. Why does it happen? Because there are too many analysts and not enough games. And what happens when you have too many analysts and not enough games? It's a statistical arms race building up the statistical industrial complex around 16 games per week at most. Just building more and more of these football statistical weapons factory websites. More and more hack analysts going to Pro Football Reference. Splitting and splicing data to try to find a stat that sounds interesting and will get retweets. Does it matter that it's not just unhelpful, that it's misleading? No! We're in the football stats business. And we need to work extra hard sifting through weeks, months, years of stats to help you confirm your preconceived notions that Ben Roethlisberger is terrible on the road. And he's great at home. I've got just the stat for you. Let me repeat the stats that matter. 11 for 20, 221 yards, 3 touchdowns, 146.0 passer rating on the road in week 12 for Ben Roethlisberger. That's what Ben Roethlisberger does on the road with negative game script. It's another running theme on this show. The misuse of stats. That's why we're going to have Graham Barfield from fantasyguru.com and rotoworld.com because he is the best at finding stats that help to illuminate player quality, predict player performance, rather than supporting false narratives. And I'll ask Graham about the Ben Roethlisberger home road splits specifically because those particular stats epitomize the tyranny of stats, which we've talked about. And I have to put stats in quotes sometimes, Because I don't consider the Ben Roethlisberger home road split stats at all. Go to playerprofiler.com. Go to any player page. You're not going to find home road splits. Because we already know how going on the road, indoors or outdoors, affects player performance. It's a solved equation. The indoor-outdoor home road split factor is known and it's baked into our projections. It's not anything anyone needs to talk about. Go to playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings and you'll see not only rankings but also projected points with home road splits baked in. There's nothing to talk about. An individual's home road splits are meaningless. Drew Brees is great at home and he's great on the road. Going on the road outdoors throttles him more than others because not only is he going on the road where he'll be at a disadvantage relative to being at home but he's also going outdoors where there's a relative disadvantage so when the dome quarterback goes on the road to an outdoor stadium that's where the home road differential is greatest and and we know the exact throttling factor to apply to his projections everything has been solved there's nothing to talk about So, why are you data mining individual players' home road splits? And I say data mining because it's not enough to just provide the home road splits. There has to be an arbitrary starting point and an arbitrary end point to make the home road splits look as extreme as possible, exaggerating the impact of home versus away for effect. Whenever I see the arbitrary starting point and the arbitrary end point, it's a dead giveaway. My first inclination is, oh, this is about to be misleading. This is hyperbolic. There's a tinge of showmanship with these stats. The idea is to make them look as crazy and extreme as possible, a gratuitous attention grab. And you see it more and more because sports news coverage dramatically exceeds the amount of sports. The sports news coverage has outkicked its coverage of the actual sports, so both the mainstream sports media channels and all the stat heads from Pro Football Focus and all the major fantasy sites become factories for misleading extreme stats. That's the tyranny of stats that we now live under, because you can't escape it. Mainstream sports coverage, go to ESPN. Alternative sports coverage, go to Reddit, go to Twitter. You can't escape it. And I object to labeling these collections of numbers with the term statistics. They're not really statistics. It's reverse engineered number collection meant to exaggerate an oftentimes recent and random phenomenon. And these stats in quotes confuse cause and effect. They skew reality and they end up negatively influencing fantasy football decisions these aren't stats, they're propaganda. These extreme home road splits that get retweeted and retweeted and retweeted on Twitter, no different from the viral fake news stories getting reposted on Facebook. And if you are a true stat nerd, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you're a fake stat nerd and you're sitting back in your chair not knowing what to think, Wait, is Fantasy Mansion disagreeing with the assertion that Big Ben is the worst road quarterback relative to himself? Uh, uh, yes. Yes, of course I am. So should all of you. Remember, earlier in the year, I badgered. The executive editor of Sports Illustrated, John Wertheim, who wrote the book Scorecasting, to come on and talk about this exact topic to set the record straight. He studied the roots of home field advantage, which has been measured as a three-point advantage for the home team and a three-point disadvantage for the road team. And that's empirical. And as much as passing factors into those three-point advantages and disadvantages and rushing factors into those three-point advantages and disadvantages, that's the throttling factor that you need to assign to quarterbacks and running backs and wide receivers when they go on the road versus being at home. And what John Wertheim found was that the home field advantage is not some supernatural occurrence, there's not some specific magnetic field that the home quarterback enjoys that the road quarterback doesn't from one stadium to the next. The advantage is simple. Home teams get more calls from the referees that extend drives and help them score more points and more fantasy points. Why? Because the home crowd influences the referees subconsciously, Wertheim studied a soccer league where the fans were banned from attending the games for the rest of the season because there were so many fights in the stands. So a team would go on the road and face the home team in an empty stadium and vice versa. And guess what happened? The home field advantage evaporated. There were so many riots in these soccer stadiums. They had to play out the remainder of the season with no fans. Think about that crazy, but it happened. And thank God it did because it helps us understand the roots of home field advantage. So now that you understand the phenomenon, you can use deductive reasoning to dismiss these numbers that are compiled using arbitrary endpoints. And they're not just not actionable. They're sports propaganda. But even without reading scorecasting, it's just common sense. Of course, there's no magic dust that Ben Roethlisberger sprinkles onto his shoulder pads only when he's at home. There's no magnetic field on the surface of Heinz Field that gives Ben Roethlisberger an advantage only at home. It doesn't make sense to think that way. Yet these home road splits tweets get hundreds of retweets as if they have any meaning. They don't! Do you really think the Steelers Stadium has magical powers? If you do, turn the podcast off right now. Oh, wait. Do you believe Heinz Field has magical powers? Yes. Turn the show off. Delete it from your app. Never listen to this again because you'll never understand this show if you believe these extreme home road splits that you're reading about are in any way useful for projecting performance and understanding what you're watching because they don't. Random trends surface all the time in football. That's what makes football so great. It's so unpredictable and at the mercy of random chance. So many fans and fantasy gamers and sports bettors are fooled by randomness every week because the sport of football is so susceptible to randomness. 11 men colliding against 11 men every play trying to coordinate The exchange of an oblong ball. No play is going to be the same. No game looks the same. Go to a box score and you'll see vastly different numbers from one box score to the next. You don't see that in basketball. You don't see that in baseball. You can go through a list of baseball games and find some box scores that are nearly identical. Seven innings pitched, seven strikeouts, three walks. Then you go to a Kansas City Chiefs box score, and Tyreek Hill is rushing for a touchdown, he's receiving a touchdown, and he's returning a touchdown. And it's not like the case of Ben Roethlisberger couldn't be explained anecdotally. Roethlisberger tore his meniscus at Miami, a road game. So he was debilitated for one road game this season. And then his first game back, his acclamation week, was also on the road in week nine where he played at less than 100%. Now, back at 100%, he's playing the Colts and throwing for three touchdowns on 20 attempts. That's how being fooled by randomness works. Confusing cause and effect. You flip the schedule and Ben gets hurt during a home game and his first game back is a home game. All of a sudden, his home road splits look completely different and we're not having this conversation. God, I would love to not have this fucking conversation. But I have to because I see so many of these home road splits getting retweeted and so many of the concierge customers direct messaging me questions about the home road splits and should we be afraid of starting Ben Roethlisberger at Indianapolis. Maddening. But that's why I'm here. I'm here to guide you through this world of football analysis and help you identify what's real and what's illusion and help you be a little less superstitious with your sports. The idea that Ben Roethlisberger is measurably worse than other quarterbacks when they go on the road. When you think about it in those terms, of course, that's not true. But every day you go to your Twitter timeline and you see reverse engineered quote unquote stats. With the sample chosen specifically to bend reality and exaggerate, for example, a home road effect. And I'm here to remind you not to internalize the propaganda, not to overthink it. I'm here to ensure you're not benching Ben Roethlisberger against the Colts just because some fantasy writer was scanning through the box scores and found some fun randomly generated coincidence and he shared it with the world. It went viral because so many sports fans are gullible. Randomly generated coincidences are not actionable, and if you're making lineup decisions based on these data ranges with arbitrary endpoints, you're doing it wrong. What's an arbitrary endpoint? Well, here's an example. In Ben Roethlisberger's last 18 games, whoa, 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 stop right there. Why the last 18 games? Why not 17? Why not 19? The answer is you chose the number 18 for maximum exaggerated effect. And if you change the range at all, it would dilute your propaganda. We're out here getting fooled by randomness enough, aren't we? And I have a pretty well-developed filter for what's actionable and what's not, and I still get fooled by randomness all the time. We don't need sports propaganda exacerbating the problem. Ben Roethlisberger is not unusually afraid of road crowds, right? If Ben Roethlisberger plays at New Orleans... In a hostile environment, he, like Drew Brees, will put up huge numbers playing in a dome environment. Brees' numbers will likely be a little bit better because Brees will get more calls. Brees will get a pass interference call that Ben Roethlisberger did not that extends a drive and allows Drew Brees to throw for a touchdown that Ben Roethlisberger would never have had an opportunity to throw. That's the home road difference distilled. The Saints crowd does not have magical powers to lift up Drew Brees. But when you obsess about these splits, you're essentially practicing sports superstition. It's not real. It's propaganda. Propaganda that collapses upon applying any critical thinking. And that's my favorite tactic. For creating and accepting challenges on no halftime, go to any player page and right in the center, you'll see play Odell Beckham, play Le'Veon Bell on no halftime. Click the button. If you're on a desktop computer, it's going to ask you for your phone number. Once you receive a text from No Halftime, click the link, download the No Halftime app, and you can set up one on one challenges against friends or accept existing challenges that have been posted to the public. I like to create head to head challenges that exploit the baseless narratives of the week to my advantage. My favorite head to head last week was playing Ben Roethlisberger against someone like Russell Wilson. Everyone had Russell Wilson in cash games, and so many were afraid of Ben Roethlisberger's home road splits. Exploit the propaganda, exploit the superstition, play Ben Roethlisberger on the road on no halftime, and when you sign up, use the promo code PLAYER100 to get a player profile sponsored deposit bonus on no halftime. Now, let's go talk to Graham Barfield from FantasyGuru.com, and be sure to follow him on Twitter, at Graham Barfield. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio Program. Graham Barfield from Fantasy Guru, from Roto World. Excited to talk to this guy. Graham Barfield,
1: talk to me! Hey, man, I mean, like, it's... it's You were hammering me earlier in the year to come on the show, and I kept giving you uh, terrible responses that I was busy. And I'm like, I am insanely busy during the week, but I finally carved out an hour, hour and a half here to talk to you. And I'm really, really excited to to talk to you. Uh, Player Profiler has been like one of my go-to sites for like pretty much everything if I want to know – uh, any just like random burst score on some guy that nobody even <laughs> gives a shit about um I go to you so I, it's kind of cool I, I look up to you and I look up to your site and yes and uh the way you the way you do uh your shows it's uh highly
0: highly entertaining we were talking earlier off air about my tendencies as a host and that I tend to hog the microphone. And it's true. I use a program called Audacity, and it's for mixing and editing and producing shows. And when I have a guest on, I can see both tracks, my audio and the guest's audio in Audacity. And always, inevitably, 100 times out of 100, gram, there are more audio bars on the Matt Kelly track than the guest track and supposed to be the guest talking and me asking questions but that's not what ends up happening so my goal for this show is to finally break the streak and to have the guest talk more than me that's the goal you talked earlier about how i asked you to be on the show multiple times I think I asked you to be on the show more than I've asked anyone else. I was more persistent trying to get you on the show than when I tried to get John Wertheim, the executive editor of Sports Illustrated, on the show. You have been my hardest get, Graham Barfield.
1: I don't, I don't mean to be at all, man. I just like, I, this year has kind of been crazy. Um, How many times did I ask you? How many times? Just a number. Throw a number out there. It was probably at least four times in the beginning of the year, and I know I was starting a new job and doing, uh, like, starting yeah, full time yeah. and stuff. I'm giving, a, yeah, I'm giving yeah. you a terrible BS response, but no, man, you got the coward thing going on. It's all good. Cowherd. Oh, my bad, my bad. That's Cowherd. I'm so
0: sorry. People might have misheard that Cowherd, the original microphone hog himself, Colin Cowherd. So the goal for this show, again. You talking more than me, so we'll have to start with rapid fire. Sometimes we lapse in rapid fire halfway through or at the very end, we just try to throw out a rapid fire segment and then it never ends up being rapid fire. I end up being the one that slows down the rapid firing. So we're just going to get it started right at the beginning just to set the pace fast, early, rapid fire. Andy Dalton lost A.J. Green and Giovanni Bernard in the same week, and he's not the same quarterback. And then I started thinking about the Bengals' situation and how the offense is transformed when A.J. Green is on the field. And in most cases, the quarterback is the most important member of the offense. Look at Dallas. People love to talk about Ezekiel Elliott, but we all know that whether it's Dak Prescott or Tony Romo – That's the biggest difference maker because we saw last year when Brandon Whedon's under center or Kellen Moore's under center or Matt Castle's under center, that offense is constipated. But with Dak or Romo, it's a completely different offense regardless of who they're handing the ball off to. And that's the case with most NFL teams. You saw last week with Indianapolis, with Scott Tolzien under center, it's nothing like having Andrew Luck. That's the norm However, I don't believe that's the case in Cincinnati. I believe that Cincinnati would be better off losing Andy Dalton and replacing him with A.J. McCarron than they would be losing A.J. Green and replacing him in the number one wide receiver chair with Brandon LaFell. Do you agree with that? And if so, can you think of any other examples around the NFL where you'd rather lose the quarterback than one of the skill positions?
1: Yeah, I mean, I love how you brought up the whole Dak thing. I mean, that offense predicates itself on highly efficient quarterback play. Dak Prescott is on pace to have the most efficient rookie quarterback season per adjusted yards per attempt, pretty much per completion percentage. So yeah, I mean, Ezekiel Elliott has been fantastic this year. That offensive line has been fantastic this year, but I, you know, I think it's, we're, we're kind of getting to take lock, uh, like you've been talking about. Like if you really, really think the offensive line, you really think that Zeke is the, uh, deciding factor there. It's, a, a you're kind of sh- selling yourself short, but, um, you're wrong if you think that. So yeah, it's it's brutal to to read those columns every week, Matt. But um, Oof. yeah, I think I think you mentioned this in the show notes, but I think Jacksonville's probably the best example of this. Um, you know, Chad Henney, is there really that big of a difference at this point between Bortles and Henny? I mean, Bortles' throwing motion has just gotten to the point where it's almost Tebow esque, and he can't read cover two. And you're in the third year uh, in an offense that you should have full command over, and you can't read cover two you got major issues going on.
0: You're in trouble. I saw some still photos of Blake Bortles' wind-up, and he does this thing. You know how they have these quarterback camps, especially out in California? They're very popular. Trent Dilfer hosts a quarterback camp, and they'll have middle schoolers and high schoolers grooming them to be the next Jared Goff, (laughs) right? (laughs) And one of the things they learn in middle school is, Is that you don't have the ball facing down at any point in your throwing motion where you're essentially palming the football because it can be whacked out very easily by a defender or your own man. And there's these still photos, these still frames of Blake Bortles palming the ball mid motion as part of a throwing motion that you would only see in a middle school quarterback.
1: Yeah. It looks like he's literally grabbing a ball out of a bucket and just tossing it down the field. It's so, so brutal. I'm so tired. Like Matt, I don't know if you know, but I'm from Jacksonville, right? Like, so I have, I didn't know that. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I I completely, uh, emotionally disconnected from that team like years ago. So it's nothing. I'm not biased towards them at all. I just, I just have friends that are huge Jags fans and a friend uh, who made a bet earlier, like I don't know, there's maybe it was August and he was trying to ask me if he should bet on the Jags going to the playoffs and I was like, Just just stop. Like, why are you wasting your money? Um <laughs> I, I just I, I just feel for the people of Jacksonville I have to watch that product and watch Gus Bradley and Bortles every week
0: they were hopeful that Bortles could be their franchise quarterback at the end of last season but I was impressed with Jacksonville fans they're realists it only took a few weeks of bad Bortles this season for everyone unanimously every Jacksonville fan to immediately pivot and And remember that, oh, yeah, this guy's not very good. We've been fooled. We understand it. We're humble about it. It's cool. We're in quarterback purgatory. (laughs) Moving on. Definitely. (laughs) Definitely. There's some sharp
1: people on Jags Twitter for sure.
0: They are rational people in Jacksonville. Chicago is also in quarterback purgatory. And we've been chasing their wide receivers all year. We thought it was Alshon Jeffrey in the number one wide receiver chair, and he never fired as a top wide receiver option. And then it was going to be Cameron Meredith. We touted Cameron Meredith before anyone else. That's a fact. And now it's Marcus Wilson. And Marcus Wilson came off the IR and did the thing that the guy coming off the IR rarely does, which is have a huge game. In the first contest in which he receives a full snap share, usually it takes a couple games for these guys coming off the short-term IR to get acclimated. Not so with Marcus Wilson. So moving forward into the fantasy playoffs, would you rather have Wilson or would you rather have Meredith? Um, for me, I think just in terms of like
1: what they provide on the field, I think Meredith has more nuance to his game. And he also he led the wide receivers and snaps last week. But Matt, I wanted to get your opinion on this. And this is something I know you and I are both very data driven people, um, but this is something data can't really prove. But Matt Barkley and Marcus Wilson have kind of been on the practice squad or they've been in the fourth, fifth team, you know, uh, offenses together, do you think that there is some sort of backup connection between those two? And if so, can can we broadly apply it into certain situations like where you just have like the Bears, let's let's face it, the Bears are a dumpster fire and they're, you know, they are uh, quarterback purgatory. But is there some sort of like um, connection there that data can't necessarily prove that maybe like locks us into thinking, yeah, sure. Cameron Meredith in terms of like talent is a better player than Marcus Wilson, um, but there's a reason—the rapport effect, right? It, yeah, exactly. I mean, there's a reason that that Marcus Wilson came out last week and saw eleven targets and caught eight of them for one twenty-five, and Cam Meredith saw nine and only caught two. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't. I know that. Again, like data can't really prove this, but I I have to think that there's got to be some sort of connection between those two.
0: When the last time we heard this was Jimmy Garoppolo to Malcolm Mitchell, right? I hear about the rapport factor every year. It's just one of those tired narratives that always comes up and you rarely see it actually play out. Right. And if it does play out, you're not sure if that was the reason. So pinpointing the cause and effect is impossible in that situation. Right. Cameron Meredith was also on the second team offense. Yeah. Marcus Wilson was getting more first team reps last year than Cameron Meredith was. If anyone has rapport with the backup quarterback, it's actually Cameron Meredith. So that narrative doesn't make sense. Marcus Wilson's also been injured and rehabbing, so there was a swath of weeks where he wasn't on the practice field at all. I've never read a piece on Rotoviz or Fantasy Guru or Roto World that validates that narrative with data. Yeah. So I'm left to look at the profiles of the two players. And I don't mind Marcus Wilson's profile. Marcus Wilson was a guy we all liked based on his breakout age. He was a young producer at Washington State. The only problem was he's very svelte, 6'4", 184, an incredibly low BMI for a wide receiver. He's Tajay Sharp Skinny, and there are very few wide receivers of his archetype that Succeed in the NFL. Someone like Cameron Meredith is actually 6'3", 200, and we just haven't seen the super svelte wide receiver rise to become the every week leader in target share for his team. So I question whether or not Marcus Wilson can be the number one receiver for the Bears. And we've seen Cameron Meredith have two huge weeks this year. Marcus Wilson's had one huge week. I asked you the question because I I don't have an answer. One guy has draft capital. I know it's seventh round, but Marcus Wilson was drafted. Cameron Meredith wasn't. They're similar ages. They have similar college production in terms of their college dominators are very similar. They both have great size-adjusted agility, well-above-average catch radiuses or catch radii. I guess they both have well-above-average catch radii. And they were both at one point on Player Profiler comparable to Rod Streeter, so it's very difficult for me to detangle these two players, and knowing that they're tethered to Matt Barkley, it makes it very difficult for me to get excited about either one.
1: Oh, well, definitely, and I brought up just kind of like the backup narrative, because I've seen it on Twitter, and I've seen it on, you know, you know uh, various articles this week. Multiple articles brought up? Yeah, yeah. Brought up the rapport factor between Marcus Wilson and Matt Barkley? Well, I think people were surprised that Barkley played. He didn't play well, let's face it. But he was competent. Like, he has zero arm strength. But no, I, I just brought it up because I thought it was something fun to talk about. But, um, I mean, the remaining schedule of the next three weeks, I mean, they get the Niners, Lions, and Packers. So, the I mean, in theory. This is the week in
0: DFS. Right. This is the week to own your Bears receivers. If you're going to own one, you got to pick one. Wilson or Meredith this week. I'll go with the guy that was on the field more last week and just go with Meredith. That, that's that's right. That's right. I like that. Wilson's higher in the rankings, but I'm going to go Meredith. I'm going to go against the computer. Computer, fuck off. <laughs> We're loyal to Meredith, computer. We don't care. Recent efficiency, schmischency. We are Cameron Meredith loyalists on the show. Graham Barfield, Matt Kelly, Cameron Meredith. Looking back this year, Cameron Meredith was my biggest hit of the obscure, super deep sleepers. Did you have a super deep sleeper that hit? I don't know if
1: I had like one specific like deep sleeper, but I did have one guy that was um, not necessarily flying under the radar by any means, but was just way too cheap, and I, I felt like I was on an island with Melvin Gordon. Yes. I went on Scott Barrett and John Proctor show in June, and they laughed at me for, for liking Melvin Gordon. At his cost, um, again, not a sleeper by any means and not a huge tout hit by any means. But um, I mean, it didn't make any sense to me that he was an eighth, ninth round pick and Danny Woodhead was going in the fifth round. Um, he was a major uh, positive touchdown regression candidate. I mean, he had 217 touches last year with zero scores. And we've seen what he can do in the red zone this year. He was a proficient red zone scorer in college at Wisconsin. So I just felt like that was a a, a really strong way to kind of be contrarian in like eighth and ninth rounds. I know it's a it's a tough spot. Last year, twelve red zone carries, zero touchdowns. Right. The
0: regression was bound to happen.
1: Yeah, and at Wisconsin, I, I studied um I studied a, a lot about rookie running backs, frankly, too much in my opinion. But uh he was a great scorer at Wisconsin
0: and I think that was probably my biggest probably my biggest hit. Melvin Gordon has outperformed his ADP as much as anyone. Drafted at slot seventy one He's putting up 20.8 fantasy points per game, so to get a top five running back in the sixth and seventh round, that absolutely qualifies as a tout hit worth celebrating, but you also must have had a miss. I had plenty of misses. Who was your biggest miss? Oh man, it was Jamal Charles,
1: um, and I'm really mad at myself. Su- that doesn't count. He got injured. See, I think it does because he was hurt coming into the year. I mean, he was coming off the ACL, and I think I, I'm just mad at myself because I I never get sucked into injury optimism. Um, and his cost was kind of deaccelerating throughout the whole draft process, and I just started uh, buying more. So maybe I got I got sucked into that one uh, a little a little too much. Um,
0: I did too. It was the other ACL. If he re-injured the same ACL, my thinking is, we're in trouble. Because he injured the other ACL, I thought, eh, same as last time. Right. But, Graham, the problem is, we're not doctors.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, I mean, these these types of, I mean, I, I think we kind of get um, locked into opinions on these guys are just kind of like freaks. You know, like people... Uh, are still trying to buy Adrian Peterson just because they think he's a freak. And they, these guys can just automatically come back from injuries with no repercussions and uh, and have success immediately. And I got sucked into that one. But I'll give you another one. And I know this one's actually kind of in the same vein. Both of these guys were injured. But I, I drafted zero uh, Jimmy Graham this year. And I'm really upset at myself mm-hmm. with that one. He was he was so, so cheap, Matt. And I think he was like the tight end 17, tight end 18 and ADP at one point. And um, at that price, I should have been a little more bullish uh, just because if he doesn't hit and he obviously he did hit, but if he doesn't hit, he's cheap and it doesn't kill your team. Even in MFL 10s, it doesn't kill your team. He would have been your second or third tight end at that point.
0: He's Jimmy Graham in his prime, man. He's Jimmy Graham in his prime. We don't need to overthink it. Again, we're not doctors. So many fantasy writers seem to be experts on the patellar tendon Meanwhile, we have a handful of cases where a player rehabbed from a torn patellar and either came back or didn't come back. One guy couldn't make it back, Victor Cruz. Another guy did make it back the following year, Ryan Williams. He just was never very good in the first place. So we have a very rare injury with very little case study evidence to look at. It's impossible to draw conclusions about what happened with Victor Cruz and apply them one for one to Jimmy Graham. We all did that. I did that. Everyone did that. We all should have been drafting Jimmy Graham at a higher draft slot. None of us did. And I had Pat Mayo on the show a couple months ago, and that was his miss that he talked about. He thinks the same way you do. He's still kicking himself that he dismissed Jimmy Graham because of the medical narratives
1: yeah, definitely. And I think that the thing that it kind of came down to, and this is why I'm so mad about Charles and Graham just kind of in two different um, lights this year is, I got sucked into injury optimism in the late second and third round when I completely wrote off a player who was way, way too cheap. How, why, why did my brain make that connection? That's why I'm so upset at myself. That just makes zero sense. I mean, you were getting the discount on Jimmy Graham and no one took it. But you had to pay almost full freight for Jamal Charles and we all got sucked into that one. So, I, you know, again, uh, that's probably my biggest miss. This year, and you know what, Matt? I'll give you one more. Or was listening to your show last year, and I know you and I both loved Demarco Murray last year in Philadelphia. Oh God! Yeah, and I drafted. Don't remind me. Zero Demarco Murray this year, and he's been, uh, you know, an an elite RB one. Obviously, the situation last year with Chip did not go as as we expected, and this year he's just been a complete hammerback. I mean, he's been unbelievable in the red zone. He's been unbelievable as a receiver. Um, I loved DeMarco Murray last year. He was my 101, and I swung and missed. And this year, he was way cheaper in a frankly better, I guess, suited situation for what he does really well
0: uh, and didn't get enough. And
1: I'm really upset at myself about that one.
0: DeMarco Murray was my number one back on the board in 2015 as well. And I wasn't drafting him because I was utilizing a pretty strict, pure zero RB draft strategy this year and so he wasn't falling quite far enough for me to draft him. More often than not, my first running back was someone like Charles Sims or Jeremy Lankford or Melvin Gordon, Amir Abdullah, someone like that. But I agree, he was the guy to draft in the third, fourth, and fifth rounds, but no one could have foreseen the improvement of the offensive line, number one, and the improvement of Marcus Mariota. So there were two external forces That were unforeseen that had to click into place for the DeMarco Murray we see today to happen. And the DeMarco Murray we see today at this very moment is also different than the DeMarco Murray we saw four weeks ago. The DeMarco Murray four weeks ago was healthy, but since he sprained his foot and he's been playing through a sprained foot, he had a sprained foot in Dallas, don't forget. Again, I am a doctor, not a doctor. Here we go with the medical narratives again. This is the one thing I can't shake. I love to have narrative discipline. Know when I'm falling into a narrative and identify it and talk through it. With the medical narratives, I fall in it and I don't even know I'm doing it. I just can't help it. It's an addiction that I have. Now that's, that's like more of a psychological a medical diagnosis. Anyway, DeMarco Murray has looked to me to be running tentative. The team has been rolling back his opportunity share the last few weeks, and his production has been suffering. That's a fact with DeMarco Murray, and it correlates directly with the foot sprain that he suffered against Jacksonville. So that's why I haven't been playing DeMarco Murray in Daily Fantasy the last couple weeks and instead just auto-playing David Johnson and Ezekiel Elliott, and it's worked out really well. One guy I should have been playing in GPPs and wasn't was Taylor Gabriel. It's amazing what Taylor Gabriel can do with a quarterback. That's a great tactic during the preseason. In the summer, just set up a grid of wide receivers that change teams and highlight the wide receivers with a quarterback upgrade. That would have helped you identify Taylor Gabriel as a deep sleeper, While others were building a case around Mohamed Sanu, a case that was depth chart based. If I were drafting a team today and I had to pick a receiver, Mohamed Sanu or Taylor Gabriel, I would pick Taylor Gabriel for my NFL franchise because I think having him on the field across from Julio Jones gives the team a better chance to win. He has more explosiveness and playmaking ability Then Mohamed Sanu, 44540, 130.5, 88th percentile burst score, that workout metric that you love so much that combines the vertical jump and the broad jump into one equally weighted metric, and above average agility. Across the board, Taylor Gabriel is a great athlete, 114.4, 75th percentile Spark X score on playerprofiler.com. So, This is a guy that can change the game, and that's what he's been doing in Atlanta, making big plays while Mohamed Sanu has been minimizing the targets he's been receiving. Yet in the offseason, I read numerous pieces touting Mohamed Sanu, and what were they based on? Target share. And touting a player with average ability and average historical production based purely on projected target share is one of the great preseason projection traps.
1: Do you agree? Yeah, well, definitely. And the way that they're using Gabriel now is um, kind of not too dissimilar from the way the Chiefs use Tyreek Hill. They you know, kind of give him this little pop screens. They move him to the slot. They move him outside. Um, yeah, definitely. I, I think Sanu at this point is kind of limited in what he can do. He's fine if you put him into the
0: slot and He's fine. He's fi- he's a fine player. He's fine. Mohamed Sanu is fine. He's fine. It's fine. He's
1: fine. <laughs> yeah, but Gabriel Gabriel does give that offense uh, some some more pop, and I, I think I, I know you kind of don't get too much into coaching, and that's that's fine. Uh, but I think Kyle Shanahan is <laughs> is uh, is so good at exploiting what other teams uh, or what other defenses don't do well. And uh, Gabriel has been fantastic over the past month, uh, as he's been more integrated into the offense. And I think Shanahan knew that he had to get Gabriel onto the field because Sanu is just, you know, he's fine. Like we just said, he's he's a fine player, fine. But, but Gabriel does definitely does give him an extra element. Um, you know, he has, you know, just five targets in three straight games. So I, I kind of can't see myself trusting him, uh, in, in fantasy until that target share does go up. But uh, he, he definitely has some pop to his game. I, I like him.
0: Can you think of any other aggressive projections for mediocre players like Mohamed Sanu over the summer that were purely depth chart based? And then as the season has played out, more talented players that were beneath the more highly touted players rise up and steal their target share? I don't know how you're going to feel about this one.
1: So full full preface here. But I think it's Marquise Lee and Alan Hearns. And I think I I think now that Marquise Lee is healthy, he's got the hamstring right. uh, We've seen him with Blake Bortles kind of have this like. It's a renaissance. Yeah. 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 I mean, uh, he was almost left for dead in the same vein Devontae Adams was. And now he's caught four or more balls in nine of his last 10 games. Alan Hearns has kind of been. uh, He was a nice story last year. Caught 10 TDs. Um, but he's he's kind of lost some of his target share to Marquise Lee. Uh, and, you know, Hearns has been relegated pretty much to a slot-only role. So I think in terms of um, kind of deeper players that were cheap, I think Marquise Lee has kind of been that way with Alan Hearns.
0: We dismissed Marquise Lee too quickly. We dismissed Devontae Adams too quickly. And I think some people... Are dismissing jeff janice too quickly <laughs> it's true they are they are i don't want to hear anything from you oh man is there a player that was drafted in 2015 who you see being dismissed in the fantasy community now that you think could have a renaissance in 2017
1: i think a lot of people will think it's nelson Aguilar. um i'm not hold on we're gonna go
0: ahead and run the the loser game show sound <laughs> Yeah, I'm not I'm not
1: on that train. I think it's going to be Prashad Perriman. Steve Smith is likely going to be gone. Uh, Mike Wallace is on a one-year prove-it deal, and he might not be back. Brashad Perriman, what he can do in terms of just separation, like if you just separate, he's not seen a huge target share this year by any means, but if you separate what he is doing in terms of how he is getting open downfield, uh, how he's getting better in intermediate routes, just from what I've seen. I think he could be a dominant player. He's just got to stay healthy.
0: And stay in bounds. He makes these spectacular plays with a toe out of bounds.
1: Right. Yeah, and that's that's another thing. I mean, his body control is just, it's, it's like it's wide receiver one, alpha male-esque. He's just got to put yes. it all together and I think he can yes. put it all together if he sees over 100 targets. I think I think it's possible. So I I love that. I'm buying Brashad Perriman. I I love
0: that. I love that. I love that. Buy Brashad Perriman and Dynasty. Buy Brashad Perriman and Dynasty. If you haven't heard it yet, buy Brashad Perriman and Dynasty.
1: Yeah, I've got him stashed on uh a pretty shallow team where you it's salary cap and I I've just not allowed myself to to move off of Perryman. I, I just
0: have to stay. I, I have to be there when Perriman hits. Yeah, my favorite example of the depth chart-based miss, Travis Benjamin versus Tyrell Williams, because when you look at their respective talent profiles, Tyrell Williams is simply an upgrade across the board over Travis Benjamin. He's simply an enhanced version of Travis Benjamin in every way. It's like if you had a sports car with no features doesn't have the extra horsepower, doesn't have the stereo system, doesn't have the cool wheels, doesn't have the spoiler, that's Travis Benjamin, and Tyrell Williams is the car that's completely loaded with explosive athleticism, and you write a weekly column for Roto World, and Roto World. Slid in the most interesting sentence that I've read in a player news blurb all year, and it was on Tyrell Williams this week. Something I didn't know. That the reason why Tyrell Williams underwhelmed in his final season at Western Oregon is because he was playing through a torn labrum the entire season. That explains the low dominator rating if you give Tyrell Williams a 40% dominator rating suddenly he's screaming sleeper as opposed to just whispering Tyrell Williams it would be like (laughs) Tyrell Williams
1: Oh, man, that was that was the quintessential Matt Kelly moment right there. That's what it was. Um, Graham, are you one of those guys that
0: when someone tells a funny joke, you say that was funny?
1: No, not really.
0: OK, thank God.
1: Oh, no, man, no. I So when I do podcasts and stuff, I, I put them on mute and just don't want any background noise on. And I'm literally laughing my ass off uh, halfway through the show because you're. You're just the man, Matt. But yeah, I mean, Tyrell is just he's so good. He has uh, in his last five games against uh, non-Denver opponents. He has over 100 yards and or a touchdown in both. Uh, but, you know, he's not de- dealing with that labrum issue. If he were healthy, I think he's kind of been gimpy on that knee at times this year. Um, if he's right and he gets that labrum right and they get Keenan Allen back next year, the Chargers offense, their boundary receivers are just they're going to be so filthy. If Allen can get right. Williams is obviously a really good player. He's still really raw, in my opinion. I think he's still got a lot to do, but his ceiling is so, so high in that offense. That's
0: right. The mainstream fantasy analysts did not see Taylor Gabriel coming. They did not see Tyrell Williams coming. They did not see Cameron Meredith coming, usurping Eddie Royal. They didn't see Bryce Butler coming. Bryce Butler's been quietly more productive than Terrence Williams in recent weeks. And they also didn't see Terrell Pryor coming. Mike Clay came out very quickly after the draft and projecting Corey Coleman to lead all rookie wide receivers in yards by a wide margin based on the depth chart and projected target share without accounting for the imminent ascension of Terrell Pryor. Is Terrell Pryor a WR1
1: with McCown at quarterback? I, I think so. I mean, I don't think Cody Kessler at this point, um, I, he's just not someone I can see elevating uh, ceiling players. Um, so with McCown back there, I don't know, McCown and every quarterback they've thrown back there just being getting hammered with pressure, and that just can kind of lead to quagmires. But, uh, yeah, Pryor, it's just amazing what he's doing at 27. I mean, I, I just wish we could go back in time, you know, four or five years and tell Pryor just to convert to wide receiver and just see what he really, really could be. I mean, his his ceiling, yeah, it's definitely top twelve. It's definitely top fifteen as a weekly play um, with McCown back there. But I, you know, he's seriously just a complete freak.
0: He's a complete freak in Dynasty. If somehow, some way, the Browns draft an efficient quarterback, yeah, he could be a top five fantasy wide receiver in 2017. It's possible. It's possible, right? It's possible.
1: Definitely. And w- with the script that they'll likely have, I mean, I don't think Cleveland's going to be any good for you know the next two or three years. They're going to have a lot of negative game script. They're going to throw a ton uh, no matter yes. what. So Pryor's going to see the targets. He's just an, un- it's just unbelievable. I don't even have, I, I it's unbelievable. we don't have a direct comparison for this guy. No, right? there's just, there's there's, no. I don't have one. It's just one of the, it's one of the situations where you just, you kind of accept it for what it is. And I, I know I said this before, I'm a day driven person and uh, when stuff like this happens, like when you get a Terrell Pryor who you have zero comparisons for, your brain just kind of doesn't know what to do with him. But I'm just, I'm accepting him. He's
0: just a, he's just a, he's a damn good player. He can do everything, Matt. The last player that we didn't have a comparison for was Calvin Johnson. So in the player profiler database, we were forced to compare him to LeBron James. We're in that territory now with Terrell Pryor. What we may end up doing, and this is a tease, We may, for the first time, compare a wide receiver to Calvin Johnson in the player profiler database. And if it happens, if it happens, (laughs) no promises, let the computer decide, unless I override it, (laughs) that would never happen. It's happened. Never. Could be Terrell Pryor and Calvin Johnson. It could happen. The funny thing about Josh McCown and pressure is that there's no quarterback in the league who's worse at evading pressure than Josh McCown. What are the odds that he stays healthy for the remaining five games of the season? Yeah,
1: I mean, their the remaining schedule is pretty. It's pretty solid for for Pryor, just in terms of uh, yes. who they're going to play. I mean, if they get the Bengals, the Bills. Their, their boundary corners are struggling right now, and the Chargers. Uh, I don't think they have anyone that could stop Terrell Pryor. So for the next three weeks, uh, when he comes out of the bye, he's he's looking like. A top uh, 15 receiver. I mean, he saw 12 targets with McCown under center last week and went for 131 against the Giants. I mean, Janoris Jenkins is a good he's a good corner, Matt. He's a very good corner.
0: Yes, he is. That was so impressive to go over 100 yards against Janoris
1: Jenkins. Yeah, the Giants have been extremely limiting the boundary receivers all season long. And Jenkins
0: has been, in my opinion, a, a top five corner this year. Yeah, that's why I actually don't have Ben Roethlisberger in my top five quarterbacks this week. We were touting Ben Roethlisberger last week because we don't overweight the home road split narratives like many people do. So we had Ben Roethlisberger much higher than consensus. This week we have Ben Roethlisberger lower than consensus in the player profiler rankings, playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings. Because the Giants do not give up a lot of fantasy points to wide receivers or quarterbacks. Negative 3.7 fantasy points allowed below the mean to opposing quarterbacks. I'm not playing Ben Roethlisberger on either FanDuel or DraftKings this week. And I say FanDuel and I say DraftKings, even though my first choice for Weekly Fantasy is now Draft. It's not FanDuel and it's not DraftKings. Because 9 out of 10 people lose money on DraftKings. And a large percent of the winnings on FanDuel go to 1% of the players. And I like Draft as an alternative to FanDuel and DraftKings because it doesn't use the salary cap system. It uses the snake draft system. I'm not sure if you've heard of Draft, but they have completely changed the paradigm of daily fantasy sports. You can set up a two-person league, 4, six, eight, 10 people, And do weekly snake drafts to create your teams instead of using a salary cap system so everyone in the league has a unique set of players. Draft is one of the more unheralded innovations in fantasy sports at this particular moment. All you need to do, Graham, is go to the App Store, type in Draft, and it's the first app you see. Download it use the promo code UNDERWORLD, and you'll get a 100% deposit bonus on your first deposit. Again, go to any app store on Android, on your iPhone, search for Draft, use that promo code UNDERWORLD, and you can set up a snake draft with nine of your friends and make sure you get Terrell Pryor. Yeah, and I mean, I think that just kind of makes it what Pryor did last week, all the more impressive. And you can also sneak Josh McCown in and just hope that he doesn't get injured in the second quarter. Every time he drops back, I am terrified that something bad is going to happen. He's the crash test dummy of the
1: NFL. (laughs) Yeah, I I feel bad for the guy. I mean, he broke his collarbone like in week two and came back in. But yeah, what I was going to say about Pryor is He was the uh, second receiver this year to eclipse 100 yards against the Giants. Only Randall Cobb did that, and that was way back in week five. Um, So the Giants, yeah, the Giants have been fantastic against boundary receivers this week, this year. Woo!
0: Woo, woo! Enough geeking out on Terrell Pryor. We're fanboys. Let's go to a player that I don't like, the other end of the spectrum. Dun, 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 dun. Is Lamar Miller a fake bell cow?
1: You know, I loved Lamar Miller uh, in Miami, and Jake Rickroad and I used to do a show called the Fantasy Game Theory Podcast, and we always went back and forth about Lamar Miller, and I was the Lamar Miller stan, and he was always uh, just dissenting me. And um, to me, it sort of seems that way.
0: It sort of seems that way. This is the underworld pod, Graham Barfield. You have to come <laughs> strong, strident opinions only.
1: I'll be honest, man. Like, I don't give strong takes unless I really, really feel strongly. And if if we're talking about Terrell
0: Pryor, I feel very strongly. But Lamar Miller. Uh, Hate a player. Yeah. Say something strong and negative. Do it, Graham. You want to do it? It feels good. It feels good to tear a player down sometimes. Do it! What if I do it with Jeff Janis? What would
1: happen to me? No! <laughs> <laughs> no, I was what I was saying, he's basically been Frank Gore for fantasy. I mean, he's been a fine RB two, but uh, a lot of empty calorie touches. But in his defense... Brock Osweiler and the Houston Texans uh, offense has been anemic, to say the least. Uh, Houston has ran the fifth fewest plays in the red zone this season. Um, not a ton of scoring opportunities, and last week he got a scoring opportunity, and Brock Osweiler, his six-seven frame, jumped over the top of the pile, frustratingly. Uh, Miller has definitely been a regression candidate in terms of rushing touchdowns, but his efficiency has not been great. And for whatever reason, I don't know if it's Brock, or I don't know if he doesn't have the anticipation to check down or what it is, uh but Miller hasn't been involved as, as as much as I thought he would be. I thought he'd be way more involved in the passing game and it, that just
0: hasn't happened this season. One of my least favorite takes of the season is the unfalsifiable hypothetical that Lamar Miller would be the number 1 running back in all of fantasy if only he were on the Dallas Cowboys. If only. If only, of course, if Kenneth Farrow were the primary running back on the Dallas Cowboys. He would be a top five fantasy running back. You can put any running back with speed and burst behind that Dallas Cowboys offense. Anyone that can explode through the hole and break a tackle is going to be a top five running back on the Dallas Cowboys offense. That's not saying anything to say that Lamar Miller would be great on the Dallas Cowboys. If you're a true bell cow and you're an elite First round running back, which is where he was being drafted in fantasy this year, then, like Todd Gurley, you have to be able to rise above. That's what David Johnson's doing. Think Carson Palmer's doing David Johnson any favors in Arizona with a water gun pistol for an arm? No. Was Matt Castle doing Adrian Peterson any favors in Minnesota? No. You have to transcend your situation, and Lamar Miller has been unable to do that, which makes him a fake bell cow. And we explained why Lamar Miller was being set up to be a fake bell cow over the summer. What was the criticism on this program of Lamar Miller? Twofold. Number one, he's not a great route runner, doesn't have great hands, and he's not dynamic in space. All those things that Riddick has that makes him a great receiver out of the backfield Lamar Miller does not have those skills that's why he'll never catch 50 passes in the NFL how many receptions does Lamar Miller have this season 27 2.5 receptions per game that's not bell cow level passing game activity and what was the second negative trait on the Lamar Miller profile Year after year, Lamar Miller has proven to lack elusiveness. He can't break tackles, and he can't avoid them. He can blow by people on the outside. That's why he has eight breakaway runs this year of 20 yards or more. That's 10th in the NFL. It's not like he's not making big plays. He is, but they're empty big plays between the 20s, and When he needs to break a tackle in the red zone, it's not happening. 15.5% juke rate for Lamar Miller. That's number 66 in the NFL among qualified running backs. Juke rate is evaded tackles per touch. That's close to league bottom. So if you can't evade tackles and you're not effective in the passing game, you cannot be a bell cow unless you're on the Dallas Cowboys.
1: Yeah, and I mean, pro football focus uh, tracks uh, yards after contact per attempt. And Lamar Miller is uh, out of, I think, 50 or so running backs. He's fifth to last in yards after contact. So uh, kind of a swing and miss there for me. I had him in a couple dynasty teams and held on uh, as he was moved from Miami to Houston. Um, But yeah, it's been a lot of empty calorie touches for him this year, for sure.
0: Do you want to know what Lamar Miller's best trade is? The thing that he's the best in the NFL at? What's that? Tripping and falling down. That's that's harsh. That's harsh. Lamar Miller came to the Houston Texans from Miami. Miami's new starting running back, Jay Ajayi. Is he real or is he fake? Well, this is another thing uh, Jake and
1: I have kind of gone back and forth. We text uh, every, pretty much every week. And uh, I told him in week two after Jay Ajayi was not even – on the active roster at, and week one uh, going to Seattle, they, they didn't even travel him. Um, I just didn't think Jay J- J- J had it, and I'm so mad at myself because I loved him coming out of Boise State. He is, um, you know, this year for whatever reason they haven't gotten him involved as much in the passing game, but he was unbelievable at Boise State, uh, just unbelievable touchdown pr- uh, producer. was fantastic out of the backfield uh, catching balls. I'm, I'm really mad at myself. For giving up hope there. Um, I don't think he's a fraud at all. I, I think he's a very good player. Um, I got too caught up in the having, you know, he has that bone on bone knee and uh, just didn't produce at all last year, really. Um, so I, I'm a little disappointed, again, that I didn't uh, have some more Ajayi because he got so cheap and he was going after Arian Foster and, you know, Arian Foster just, he didn't have any juice left in the tank at this point um but you know we've seen what he can do behind an unbelievable offensive line i think the dolphins have a really good o line when albert and tunsil and pouncey are all there they just haven't been able to put that the, the, those trio of guys on the field together really at a sustainable rate this year um So he's been really good behind a really good offensive line when they're healthy. Uh, But, you know, I think last week was a little bit of a
0: disappointment against the Niners, and they're just the stone worst run defense in the league. Well, that's another indictment of Lamar Miller is, according to player profilers, run blocking efficiency grade for the Houston Texans— they're top 12 in the league in run blocking efficiency, factors in yards before contact and effectiveness in short yardage situations. So the offensive line is giving Lamar Miller running lanes. That's why he's able to roll up long runs and still not an RB1 in fantasy. Jay Ajayi, or as I like to call him, Jay because he's British. Oh, Graham, that's a British name. Is it really? Sounds British. I would think Graham Barfield. That sounds like a very British name. Is that not a British name? Honestly,
1: I, 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 I'm i a horrible person for saying this, but I, I know nothing about any...
0: Your genealogy?
1: Yeah, I know nothing about that, man. It's horrible, I know.
0: Good day. I'm Jay Jai. Could I have some more carries, please? In the red zone, preferably, governor. <laughs> listeners on twitter have started a poll to try to get me to stop doing the bad british accent when i talk about jay ajayi but i refuse it's my show i can do whatever i want if i want to do the british accent i'm gonna do the british accent you can't stop me from doing the british accent i unlike graham barfield have never been a jay ajayi fan and it's very weird because jay ajayi has an upper percentile college dominator because He rolled up a lot of yards at Boise State and a lot of touchdowns, 41.3% dominator rating. That's 90th percentile. If you roll up a 40% dominator rating as a running back at a Division I program, that's exceptional. He also had a 12.4 target share. However, his target share was inflated by a 12-reception game against Mississippi in which the game plan was... Throw design screens to Jay Ajayi. That was the whole game plan. He caught dump offs and design screens. And like Lamar Miller, Jay Ajayi is not actually great at running routes, catching passes, and he's not nifty in space at all. The Miami coaches have said this publicly. That was the reason why I wasn't buying Jaijai. Was it's very rare that NFL coaches would come out with with such strong criticism of a player like the Miami coaching staff came out against Jay Ajayi when they were courting C.J. Anderson, they were courting Arian Foster. The leaked quotes from coaches seemed to be an indictment of Jay Ajayi that he was a compiler at the college level and he was in no way special at the professional level and then he goes out and rolls up Two consecutive 200-yard games when all those offensive linemen were healthy. You know the thing I love about the Dolphins' offensive line, Graham? What's that? They start four tackles. They don't have any guards. Bushrod's a tackle. Jawan james is a tackle so they're starting four tackles on the offensive line and mike pouncey who is the highest drafted center in nfl draft history so when all of those pieces are healthy jay ajayi is going to eat and eat and eat he's going to be three yards downfield before he has to evade a tackle that was midseason season jay ajayi and then they lost Brandon Albert, they lost Mike Pouncey, they lost Laramie Tunsa last week. Cue the loser game show sound. And this to me exposed Jay Ajayi as being just a guy because he, like Lamar Miller, couldn't transcend his situation. I mean, that's, yeah, that's
1: definitely fair. Um, but when you lose three uh, offensive linemen and all of them have been...
0: San Francisco, Graham! Yeah, I know. It's San Francisco! It's not any other team other than San Francisco! Yeah. 31 other teams, I'm with you. But not San Francisco! You can't rush for less than 50 yards against San Francisco getting a full opportunity share!
1: Yeah, eight, 18 carries and 45 against...
0: What are you doing?! At home, they,
1: you know they get uh they get the Ravens, the Cardinals, and the Jets, and all. all oh God! Three of those teams are, yeah. are very strong against the run, so we'll, we'll see the real
0: uh, Jay Ajayi in the next couple weeks. We saw him last week. Speaking of home versus road, how much do you take the home road splits into account when you're doing your projections? This is a
1: tough question to be honest with you. I mean, it, it pains me to kind of take leaps of faith with some of these home road splits, like Big Ben's, for example. Um, yeah, it definitely pains me. Um, I think if we can make some, like some sort of common sense answer, I, I, we can't ignore them. Um, I think we are seeing it this year. A lot of people love to quote Drew Brees' home road splits, but now that they have Mike Thomas, who is very good now, uh, and they have Brandon Cooks, uh, (laughs) they, they're extremely multiple in what they can do. We, we now see Drew Brees, those, those home road splits are virtually gone now. Uh, he's, he's been in his last three or four road games. He's been pretty much, he's been Drew Brees he happens to be good. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. Right. Um, but with Ben, I, you know, I don't really have a strong answer for it. Um, I I think in terms of just we're, we're pattern seeking individuals. That's just kind of how we are. Our brains love to find patterns and data. Um, and even sometimes the data can lead us to wrong decisions. And with home road splits, if I can make some sort of common sense answer about them, like if it's a non-division opponent, or if it's a division opponent, um, I think they're usable. They're definitely usable, uh, but I, I don't overseek
0: home road splits. If that makes sense, that's all I wanted to hear. So we'll stay in Miami. Dion Sims, I like. Him. He's my emerging tight end sleeper de jour. Am I going to be heartbroken again, Graham Barfield? Because I suck at finding sleeper tight ends in terms of the context of Miami's
1: offense. Matt I'm sorry but I think you are they've been just they've been the third most run heavy team in the league since week six Jarvis Landry is basically forgotten and Devontae Parker is now their clear number one wide receiver if he can stay healthy I mean Sims does have four targets in back-to-back weeks sure uh, but this is just an offense that predicates itself on the run and when those offensive linemen that we talked about are all healthy that you know they're just going to hammer Ajayi you know 20 plus times um, so I, I'm not too enthused. And again, their, their upcoming schedule, Baltimore and Arizona have been the stone, like the best teams against uh, tight ends. So, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Matt, but I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to kind of end your
0: Sims train a little bit there. Dion Sims is the anti Philip Rivers. Philip Rivers has the most heavenly schedule remaining. Dion Sims has the worst possible upcoming schedule for a tight end that we've ever seen in the fantasy playoffs. Negative 2.4 fantasy points allowed to tight ends below the mean for the average upcoming opponent for the rest of the season for Deion Sims. That's that upcoming schedule field on the playerprofiler.com player pages. Oh, I got to, what? <laughs> but the reason I like Deion Sims is because He has nice size-adjusted athleticism, and he has the size 6'5", 262, so he can block and he can catch, so he can be in the game in all game situations. That's the key with the tight end. That's why if I was drafting a tight end today for my real-life team or for a dynasty team, I'd rather have Deion Sims than Cameron Brait. Because Cameron Brait is a move tight end that is playing out of position, playing over his head. As soon as the Tampa Bay Buccaneers draft or acquire a proper every down tight end, Cameron Brait will be marginalized. If Deion Sims is ever established as the every down tight end, he won't go anywhere for years. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Will Ty kind of fits that mold, too. I mean, Will Ty can't
1: run block at all, but he's been on the field, and the Giants have just pretty much ignored that he can't run block at all. Um, but yeah, no, I like it. it you know, just for fantasy, I, you know, we got to find some sort of opportunity for these guys in uh, Baltimore and Arizona. We
0: got to find stuff to talk about, we got to find reasons to like guys. Yeah. This is the first time I've done this since the summer contrived dichotomy. <laughs> It's just a it's just a funny sound effect, my voice. I take two unrelated players and I ask you to pick one. It's just, it's a really boring game, but I try <laughs> to use sound effects to make it sound exciting. Tyreek Hill or Dorio Green-Beckham the rest of the season? Um, I think what we saw with
1: DGB last week was a function of uh, Nelson Aguilar being off of the field and DGB just finally kind of getting an unlocked target share. Of this yeah, you know, I kind of feel bad for Nelson Aguilar at this point. You know, he's just mentally not there. But those targets kind of did funnel to DGB. Um, I'll go with Tyreek Hill still because with the way Alex Smith plays quarterback, and I think it's ultra-conservative. I think it's being too nice to call him ultra-conservative. But with what he does best... Um, it kind of fits into Tyreek Hill's game. Tyreek Hill, I think, is uh, 61st out of 75 qualified receivers in average depth of target over the last three weeks, and we know Alex Smith doesn't push the ball down the field. Um, so I think getting those kind of short a those those low a dot targets and getting the ball into Hill's hands for him to catch four or five balls for the rest of the season every week isn't too much of a stretch. Whereas DGB, he's just so up and down, and Carson Wentz is a rookie quarterback, and you know they just. That I, I don't really want to invest too much in that passing offense. As, as crazy as it seems, I'd rather invest in the Chiefs passing offense at, the, at this point than anybody other than Jordan Matthews in, in Philadelphia.
0: In the last three weeks, Tyreek Hill has a 10-target game and a 9-target game, and his skill set and his role aligns very well with Alex Smith better than Doyle Green Beckham's aligns with Carson Wentz at the moment. So I agree with you. I like Tyreek the Freak in every format over Doyle Green Beckham, especially Dynasty. God, Tyreek Hill in Dynasty. Imagine Kansas City with a quarterback that can push the ball downfield. <laughs> Sorry. Is anything wrong with Brandon Cooks and who do you prefer in Dynasty? Brandon Cooks or Michael Thomas? No, I mean I, I
1: loved Brandon Cooks last week. I played him. Uh, in DFS and was burned pretty heavily. Um, obviously, he's been really good uh, with Drew Brees at home. One of those things that we uh, we brought up earlier in the show. It's kind of hard to pinpoint, but it, you know, it's just facts. I mean, Cooks has been a complete baller at home. And prior to last week, he had scored over 18 PPR fantasy points in eight of his last ten home games, and had, I believe, six of those were over 20 PPR points. Um, but yeah, last week was just an aberration uh Michael thomas is a very good player matt he's he's really good and I personally think i would still have i would rather have mike thomas in in dynasty for the sole fact i think he's a more Nuanced player in terms of what he can do. I think Cooks Cooks is really good in short and intermediate areas, and he can obviously take the top off of defenses. But Thomas is aggressive in the red zone. Uh, he's really good all over the field. I, you know, I, I personally think it's close between the two. Um, I'm interested in your take. I, I, where do you think Thomas goes? To, I guess two questions to bring it back to you. Where do you think Thomas goes? in redraft leagues next year and where should he be going in dynasty next year
0: i'm worried about brandon cooks and we're delaying the weekly refresh of the dynasty rankings because i'm struggling with this brandon cooks business i need to really do a deep dive on this brandon cooks it's scary to think that a player could be erased if the defense game plans against him that's what the rams did they assigned multiple defensive backs to bracket brandon cooks But teams have done that to Antonio Brown historically, and Antonio Brown is never shut out. Brandon Cooks has the Antonio Brown skill set. The thinking was, if Brandon Cooks improves his ability to get off the line of scrimmage and beat press coverage, that it's not out of the realm of possibility that he would be the next Antonio Brown. He has those measurables. He has a history of prolific production going all the way back to Oregon State. That's why I've had Brandon Cooks in my top 10 dynasty receivers for some time. But I hate the idea that he can be shut out. I hate that idea. On some levels, it's irrational because on any given game, a player can be shut out just due to random chance and the random target distribution that wide receivers and tight ends receive, where Sterling Shepard gets 10 targets one game and zero the next, It can happen based on game plan and game flow. That's just football. But regardless, I'm still worried about Brandon Cooks. I'm allowed to be worried about Brandon Cooks. And everything I see from Michael Thomas has been positive And all else being equal, you'd rather have the bigger receiver. The more versatile the receiver, the harder he is to shut out. You can't shut out Odell Beckham Jr. Because they'll move him around the formation to ensure that he's being put in the best possible position to make plays for his team. We talked in the preseason about how Michael Thomas looks like a slot receiver in an X receiver's body. He looked very much like Marcus Colston 2.0, and that's what he is, only somehow better. He's better outside than we expected. So the idea that it's actually Michael Thomas, that's the queen chess piece in that offense, not Brandon Cooks, was jarring to me to see that last week. And for that reason, we will have Michael Thomas ranked ahead of Brandon Cooks in Dynasty, as much as that pains me to admit.
1: Yeah, I think that's definitely the right call. I mean, um, it's amazing that Thomas came in um, as a rookie and is leading the Saints in every pretty much discernible wide receiver category. He's leading them in targets, receptions, yards, touchdowns, red zone targets. And he's a rookie, and he's exactly—he's a very nuanced player. I mean, he can win at any level in the field. He's—he's he's very good in the red zone, obviously. It's unbelievable. It's been pretty—it's been pretty amazing to see. I don't think anybody could have ever foreseen uh, the way Thomas has ascended. Uh, in new orleans
0: well mike clay certainly didn't see it when he projected Corey coleman to lead all rookie wide receivers in every category by a wide margin <laughs> a player that i shred as much as i shred mike clay james white because james white is the cardboard cutout ppr back of the nfl in my opinion For whatever that's worth it's not worth much but in my opinion deon lewis is in a completely different class than james white it's evidenced by the number of carries Dion Lewis received last week. James White's never received the number of carries that Dion Lewis received last week in a very limited snap share. So my question for you is, why would anyone continue to hold out hope that James White is going to be a useful fantasy asset? Yeah, to be honest, I don't have the data
1: in front of me, but um, there is really strong data that proved Deion Lewis was a really good interior runner last year. And I know it was a very small sample, uh, but Deion Lewis is a very good interior runner, whereas James White...
0: It's a half season. That's not super small. That's not four games. He's played a half season. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, there's just things Dion Lewis can do in terms of uh, stop-start, in terms of agility, in terms of creating on his own that James White can't do. Do you think James White's a better receiver than Deion Lewis? Yeah, absolutely not. I mean, I, no. yeah, that's, I, I don't think that there are carbon copies at all. What, the way they win are is completely different ways. I think James White's a fine player in the context of what they ask him
0: to do. In New England, in every Dunkin' Donuts, there's a cardboard cutout of Rob Gronkowski eating a donut. <laughs> and he's wearing a funny hat and he's having a good time eating Dunkin' Donuts drinking coffee as if he needs coffee right it's as if you had to choose between the actual Rob Gronkowski and the cardboard cutout Dunkin Donuts version of Rob Gronkowski that's the difference between Dion Lewis and James White
1: yeah that's perfectly said. um the problem now is Bill Belichick doesn't really care about our fantasy teams. He doesn't really care about the way he distributes snaps, and the Patriots over the last two weeks have basically been splitting snaps forty thirty thirty with blunt leading. um I'd like to see Lewis just completely um usurp uh James White, but at this point, you know we have a proven track record where Bill Belichick just doesn't you know he doesn't really care. he just does things the way he wants to do them. And he's going to use who he feels like he has an advantageous matchup with. And maybe they're saving or not necessarily saving, but keeping Deion Lewis completely fresh for their for their playoff run. And maybe he's still kind of dealing with those after effects of tearing his ACL a year ago. Um, but, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, he's he's by far and
0: away a better player than James White. I've been stashing Deion Lewis for weeks, not to play him in week 13 against the Rams. He's not going to see the field much. Why would you risk Injuring Deion Lewis in a game against the Rams that's never going to be in doubt against Jared Goff. You're not going to do that. However, Monday Night Football against the Ravens, the Ravens feature one of the best interior run defenses in the NFL. It would be an upset if LeGarrett Blunt gets over 50 yards against the Baltimore Ravens. I can't see him getting it going. And the Patriots and the Ravens have a rivalry. And that will be a game that the Patriots need to win to secure a home field advantage. That's the game where I think Deion Lewis explodes. Because I like to start the satellite backs against the stout run defenses, knowing that the grinders will be pulled off the field. That's why I like to play the Deion Lewis's and the Theo Riddick's against the stout run defenses knowing that they're going to be the ones on the field because the offense is going to be forced to throw the ball and to spread the defense out in order to matriculate the ball downfield that usually means more touches for the ppr satellite backs when the teams face the stout run defenses and what projects to be a competitive game monday night football against the ravens week 14 fantasy football playoffs that's when you're going to want to start Deion Lewis. So do not drop him in the meantime.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, they have a sort of similar spot. We saw it last week with the Jets. They get the Jets again in uh, week 16. Um, And LeGarrette Blunt was fine last week. uh, But it's fine. Just fine. He's fine. He was fine. But uh, I think a a third of his yards uh, came on one carry against the Jets. And I still think the Jets have one of the best uh, interior defensive lines, run stopping defensive lines. In the league, so you're gonna get two of those spots uh in week fourteen and week sixteen with Dion Lewis.
0: This is a good show. Yeah, yeah, I agree, man. This is good information. This is what people need. I agree, man. Analytical, data driven, <laughs> connecting all the dots, Matt Kelly, Graham Barfield. You're dropping hammers off the top rope. Deep dive football knowledge being shared on the Roto Underworld Radio program. Which brings me to my next question. Is Aaron Rodgers a douche?
1: <laughs> yeah i saw this on the show notes um i don't know man you don't know man come on he, he's cut off his family that's his own business uh i i assume i i assume that people are, are calling him that i think if you if you if you score touchdowns and make a championship belt motion after you score touchdowns you definitely have some sort of layer <laughs> of uh of self-awareness that needs to be checked on. Absolutely. Um, but I wouldn't call, I wouldn't, I, I, I without knowing him, I wouldn't go as far as to call him a douche. No. <laughs> he is. Okay. Yeah. I knew we were going there. So I, I had to set you up for it, Matt.
0: Next question. <laughs> I see the counter, my syllables versus yours, and I'm blowing you away. And so I'm trying to help to balance it. I don't think we're gonna make it, but let's try. Give me one not dead yet player for which you're still a truther for. Oh, this is easy. It's Martavis Bryant. I, I just
1: hope he comes back and he's he's fully right and he's you know kind of. Maybe he got his head screwed on a little bit straighter. I mean, the element that he brings to the Steelers' offense when he's right is is just bar none. I mean, he's a field stretcher. He can take those really low a dot targets and house them. Uh, he's good in short and intermediate areas, and they just don't have that type of player. I mean, Sammy Coates can stretch the field when he has you know a, two functioning hands, but um, that's hit or miss at times even. Um, At times we've seen Sammy Coates
0: can't catch the ball even on (laughs) the easiest passes possible. But The idea that Mike Tomlin would blame the broken hand or the broken finger on Sammy Coates' inability to catch made me laugh into
1: hysteria. Yeah. I mean, I'll go with Tavis, you know, but these guys like, you know, I've been burned Josh Gordon uh, by by Josh Gordon before where these guys are coming off suspension and they, you know, just never pan out for whatever reason. But I know Tavis is super, super cheap in the upside in that offense while well, Big Ben is in his prime, AB is in his prime. Uh, hopefully Le'Veon will be back next year. It's, it's pretty massive and I know he's super cheap in Dynasty. So I I kick the tires on him if uh, I could get him really, really cheap in a deep deep dynasty league
0: actually i have mike tomlin's phone number let's give mike tomlin a call real quick and ask him for his thoughts on martavis bryant if martavis bryant were to rejoin the team in the future hey, Mike, this is Matt Kelly from the Roto Underworld radio program. Quick question. If Martavis Bryant were reinstated, what would that mean for your team? More splash plays. What kind of impact would he have on the field for the Steelers? More splash plays. Anything else, Mike? More splash plays. Any metrics or any, any other thoughts on Martavis Bryant's potential if he were reinstated? More splash plays. All right, thanks, Mike. Good luck this week. Splash. He says splash all the time. Splash. Did I sound like him when I was saying splash?
1: You know, I'll be completely honest. I, I don't. I think it needs, just like your British accent and that, I think it needs a little bit of work. Or Mike Tomlin
0: impersonation needs some work. <laughs> all right. I disagree. That's going in the outtakes. Mine is J.J. Nelson, also a field stretcher, also a big play receiver, and I think he could reemerge this week. He's like a post-hype sleeper where he broke out in spectacular fashion earlier in the season, 27.9 fantasy points in week eight against Carolina, and then completely disappeared. He was benched due to mental lapses and drops. But John Brown is trending toward out this week with a hamstring injury due to some sickle cell trait. Again, I'm not a doctor. I don't know what that means. Michael Floyd has a hamstring injury that's been nagging him all season. He's questionable. Again, not a doctor. But what I do know is that J.J. Nelson's fast. I don't need to be a doctor. I don't need to be a physiological expert to know J.J. Nelson is Best. If we like Tyreek Hill tethered to a quarterback with a wet egg noodle arm, why don't we like J.J. Nelson, another wide receiver tethered to a quarterback that can't throw the ball downfield? J.J. Nelson can score a touchdown on any play just like Tyreek Hill because he runs a 4 That's 100th percentile speed, and his burst score and his agility score are both above average. The same case we made for Taylor Gabriel can be made for J.J. Nelson, except in J.J. Nelson's case, the depth chart is opening up. Taylor Gabriel had to establish himself without an injury, had to seize that target share away from Mohamed Sanu and the tight ends and Devontae Freeman. J.J. Nelson will likely be the starter this week, and I love the matchup. Yeah. I mean, I, when he's on
1: the field, I think he'll see majority of Breland and Breland has been a, just a disaster this year. Um, so I like the call. The, the problem is that Cardinals number two bounded receiver has just been a complete like quagmire all year. And it's been so hard to pinpoint who's going to do what. But like you said, I mean, John Brown, for whatever reason, with the sickle cell, uh, just can't get right this year. And Michael Floyd um, you know, has been injured, uh, not played well at times. Uh, Nelson could definitely step up, but you know, I you know, Palmer's just been brutal at best this year and his yeah, he's his his best plays are checking it down to DJ and just letting DJ go off and you know hit Larry Fitz in the slot and that's basically all he can do at this point.
0: Well, please just heave it downfield and give JJ Nelson a chance. Please, Carson, please. Just need one of those flashback Carson Palmer games, a retro Carson Palmer game, please. I like the Arizona Cardinals. I like the state of Arizona. Have you been to Arizona? Beautiful place. I was there this past week with my family for Thanksgiving. We were on a hike and my wife wanted to take a picture. It was beautiful. Early morning hike. Sun was rising. Beautiful. Had the phone out. My wife kept telling me, no, you got to get this cactus in the picture. You get that mountain. You got to get the sun. You got to get everything in the photo. And I'm trying you know with an iPhone you're trying to get everything in the photo just right and you're tilting the iPhone up and you're tilting the iPhone to the side and you're just trying to do everything you can to finagle everything into the picture area
1: yeah definitely I mean we, we always got to be those those photographers when we got the iPhone out, man you gotta you gotta act like you know what you're doing
0: right we're not doctors we're not actually photographers but we like <laughs> to pretend that we are in the desert where there are cactuses. So I'm on this incline, and there's loose gravel. And I'm trying to squat down on this loose gravel, and I lose my footing, and my feet come out from under me like a cartoon, and I land squarely on a prickly pear cactus. What I failed to mention was that we were on a tour. We were on a guided tour, And there were other people around. I jumped up out of the cactus and I immediately pulled my pants down, screaming. My daughter's face turned white. Her mouth was agape. She didn't know what to think. My wife is staring at me thinking, what do I do? And I said, pull them out. Pull them out. Pull them out. And she pulled out the big long ones. But there were still these little hair width needles that you could barely see. And the rest of the day, I felt like I was sitting on a cactus because I actually sat on a cactus. I'm that guy.
1: I'm sorry, man. That sounds like that. Uh, while I, I, feel bad for your misery like that. That story and the way you painted that picture with your daughter, it just it kind of made my night. So, I'm. Um, I, I, are you feeling better? I mean, did you get the? How did you get the rest of the the
0: small little pieces of the cactus out? How'd that go? When we got home, my wife and I went into the bathroom and she performed surgery on my ass.
1: (laughs) See, I I had to set you up. I'm sorry, man. I had to set you up
0: for that. It was awful. (laughs) Yeah, we haven't had sex since. I think she's emotionally damaged (laughs) from the whole thing. So is my daughter. I mean, everybody. So were the people in the tour with us. They looked over because they heard me scream, and then they saw my pants down, and they turned away in shocked and embarrassed horror on my behalf. I talked to people from Arizona, and I asked them, "What do you do when you sit on a cactus?" Thirty-five-year-olds that have lived in Arizona their whole life, they, they look at me and say, "Who the hell would sit on a cactus?" I've never sat on a cactus. Who the hell would sit on a cactus?" How does that even happen?"
1: Matt, you ruined a perfectly good family tour in Arizona, Matt.
0: Hey, Graham. Get the hell out of here. JJ Nelson is fast. Yeah, that's perfectly said. I've been stashing James White for the fantasy playoffs because I want to play him in week 14. James, no, sorry. Did I say James White? Yep. I've been stashing Deion Lewis for weeks. Imagine Kansas City with a quarterback that can push the ball downfield. <laughs> Let the computer decide, unless I override it. That would never happen. It's happened. Never. Could be Terrell Pryor and Calvin Johnson. It could happen. I lost my train of thought. Wow. Just couldn't. My brain just. A blank slate there. Just thinking daydreaming about Terrell Pryor. He's screaming sleeper. As opposed to just whispering Tyrell Williams. It would be like Tyrell
1: so major props to you. I mean, I know it takes uh, takes Stone to come on and and do solo solo shit. Ah,
0: yeah. Well, and shit all over everybody. <laughs> Deep dive football knowledge being shared on the Roto Underworld Radio program, which brings me to my next question: Is Aaron Rodgers a douche? <laughs> Cowherd brings people on the show, and it's like you forget they're on the line. Yeah, that's perfectly said. Splash. Did I sound like him when I was saying splash? Yeah, that's perfectly said. Every time he drops back, I am terrified that something bad is going to happen. He's the crash test dummy of the NFL. (laughs) Yeah, that's perfectly said say something strong and negative do it Graham. you want to do it it feels good it feels good to tear a player down sometimes do it
1: what if i do it with jeff janice what would happen to me
0: no (laughs) (laughs) and she performed surgery on my ass contrived dichotomy rise above what's another word for rise above circumvent uh, no. Uh, 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 wow. Podfather has a glitch. Transcend? Yes! 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 You have to transcend your situation. Yeah, that's perfectly said. Do you want to know what Lamar Miller's best trait is? The thing that he's the best in the NFL at? What's that? Tripping and falling down. Yeah, that's perfectly said. Could I have some more carries, please? In the red zone, preferably, governor. (laughs) Yeah, that's perfectly said. Listeners on Twitter have started a poll to try to get me to stop doing the bad British accent when I talk about JHAI, but I refuse! It's my show! I can do whatever I want! If I want to do the British accent, I'm going to do the British accent! You can't stop me from doing the British accent! Yeah, that's perfectly said. Uh, The other guard is a tackle as well, is a converted tackle. What's his name? God damn it. It's Juwan James. When all of those pieces are healthy, Jay Ajayi is going to eat and eat and eat. Yeah, that's perfectly said. Cue the loser game show sound. Well, Mike Clay certainly didn't see it when he projected Corey Coleman to lead all rookie-wide receivers in every category by a wide margin. <laughs> sorry, I just can't, sometimes I can't keep a straight face when I do that to people. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just, I'm so good at keeping a straight face. I couldn't do it that time. I just couldn't. I would have cut it up. I would actually cut that up. So I have a straight face in the show, and then the outtakes, people will find out that I couldn't keep a straight face as I just gratuitously shred Mike Clay at every possible chance I get. Yeah, that's perfectly said. It's as if you had to choose between the actual Rob Gronkowski and the cardboard cutout Dunkin' Donuts version of Rob Gronkowski. That's the difference between Deion Lewis and James White.
1: Yeah, that's perfectly said.
0: This is a good show
1: yeah yeah i agree man
0: this is good information this is what people need i agree man analytical data driven connecting all the dots matt kelly graham barfield as i just gratuitously shred mike clay at every possible chance i get you're dropping hammers off the top rope all right i disagree that's going in the outtakes